Yes! We went back to the old open today. Because I want to save the new one for uh, Mr. Spielman's return to the podcast on Wednesday. I know, I know, I know you're disappointed. Don't tune out. No Chris today. <laughs> Blame Southwest Airlines again. They did it to him again. It's the curse of the uh, Tampa airline flights or something. But uh, Spiels was in Tampa yesterday for the second straight week for the Bucks and the Saints. Saints win. And for the second straight week, he was delayed five hours getting out of Tampa. And so this is something we knew we'd deal with on the podcast on Mondays when he was on the West Coast. Uh, we thought, you know, once in a while we might have an airline snafu or something that would take him out of the rotation on Monday. It's now happened two weeks in a row. So I guess the good way to look at this is uh, it's Rutgers uh, that we're recapping. So, you know... Uh, how much intrigue is there in that? Oh, there's a ton of stuff today that I would love to get uh, Chris's uh, opinion on, and we'll get it on Wednesday. But uh, he apologizes, I apologize. It's not something we're going to deal with once the NFL season is over. Hopefully this is our, you know, last experience with it. I don't know his schedule the rest of the way. I don't know if he has a West Coast game or not. Uh, we'll find that out. We'll put it in the Spielman and Hooley newsletter, and we hope that you subscribe to the Spielman and Hooley newsletter, and you can subscribe by going to SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. Good morning. Monday morning, I'm Bruce Hooley. Glad to have you with us. We'll recap Rutgers. We'll look forward to Penn State. We've got a top-10 matchup coming to Ohio Stadium on Saturday, and everybody's coming. ESPN Game Day is coming. Uh, Fox Big Noon Kickoff is coming, and uh, your Big Ten East champion will emerge from this game. I know officially Penn State will not be the Big Ten East champion if they win the game, which I just feel like, you know, I have to cover the contingencies because Penn State is not going to win this game. It is not going to win this game. Now, I'm not typically a guy who is, uh, you know, uh, Buckeyes invincible, Buckeyes great. Uh, nobody's got a chance to beat the Buckeyes. And, you know, when we get to January, I'll go back to, you know, this one's perhaps a toss-up. But right now... Uh, let's just compare, shall we? I know Penn State's coming in here. Are they probably going to jump up a spot in the college football playoff rankings, at least one, because Minnesota lost Saturday at Iowa. Uh, I think Minnesota got a job by the officials in that one on the call on P.J. Fleck for running onto the field. Yes, I know. I'm out of character today. I'm, I'm defending P.J. Fleck. But it, coach has got to be able to run on the field and check on a player or at least beg, you can't call a coach for unsportsmanlike conduct for running out there to check on a player. That was a, just a bogus call uh, that hurt Minnesota in that game when they could have gone in and uh, tied the football game. They lose to Iowa. So let's just go back to the other uh, game Saturday that we were all watching, and that's Penn State and Indiana. It's 34-24 to Penn State uh, because Penn State scored a touchdown with less than two minutes to go at the end of an 18-play, 75-yard drive. It took nine minutes off the clock. Now, uh, some fans are snarking Penn State because, you know, can you imagine Ohio State taking nine minutes to score a touchdown? No, because the Buckeyes are a quick-strike offense. I don't think that's where I focus on that game. Where I focus is it's a close game with Peyton Ramsey in at quarterback. And I'm not trying to uh, denigrate Peyton Ramsey's ability, but he's not Indiana's starting quarterback. Yes, I know Ohio State played against Peyton Ramsey, but that's that's kind of good that Ohio State played against Peyton Ramsey because it gives us an exact comparable. If Penn State had played Michael Penix and it had been close, you know, people, Penn State fans could say, well, you know, yeah, yeah, you got the backup, we got the real deal. But you didn't get the real deal. You got Peyton Ramsey. And they're a different team with Peyton Ramsey. Uh, he's a nice backup quarterback. He's a good, decent player. But still, the 
the, the, the comparable is you needed to drive 75 yards at the end of a game and score on fourth and goal at home to beat Indiana. Ohio State played at Indiana and beat them 51 to 10. And I know that, you know, you can't do the comparable scores all the time and have, you know, the transitive properties apply because if you had been able to do that, Ohio State would have beaten Rutgers by 100 points on Saturday because they beat Maryland by, was it, 59? And Maryland beat Rutgers by 41. And Ohio State, I'm doing the air quotes, only won 56 to 21. So I know the transitive properties don't always apply. But if you beat Indiana and Indiana by 41 and Penn State beats Indiana by 10 at home and has to drive at the end to keep the ball away from the immortal Peyton Ramsey with one of Indiana's top receivers out of the game with a concussion uh, that suffered during the game. I hope he's okay. Wap failure. Good luck to you. Um, Then I think that shows me that Ohio State is the vastly superior team. And as I wrote, and you can read it right now at SI.com, Backslash college, backslash Ohio State. Here's how I believe the game will go on Saturday. I believe Ohio State will throw the ball whenever and wherever and however often they want to. Uh, Yes, I know Penn State has a really good pass rush, but uh, Ohio State, it seems to me, has been auditioning the past two weeks to sharpen its passing game for this matchup. And I've said all year, when Chris and I have discussed Penn State, He asked me why I don't believe in Penn State, and I always say the secondary. I don't believe in their secondary. And let's go back to the last two weeks, if you don't believe me on the Indiana comparable. uh, Minnesota threw for 331, I think, and completed 18 of 20 passes against Penn State. Minnesota prefers to run the football. They don't prefer to throw it. They prefer to run it, or at least be balanced. They threw it against uh, Penn State, three touchdowns in the first half, and they upset Penn State. Indiana Saturday threw for 371. 371. Indiana and Minnesota together have completed 80% of their passes against Penn State. You think Ryan Day is going to be able to scout the film and look at all that? Oh, uh, I think he already has. Because I don't find it coincidental, perhaps you do, but I do not find it coincidental, that against Maryland, all of a sudden, the mighty Ohio State rushing game decides, ah, let's have Justin Fields throw it. 25 times in the first half against Maryland. Because, of course, Ryan Day expected that Justin Fields probably wouldn't play very much past the first half against Maryland. So let's get his passing reps in while he's in there. So 25 passes is the matches the season high in attempts for Justin Fields. And he threw all of those 25 in the first half against Maryland. Then Saturday, we come out against Rutgers. Do you think we can run against Rutgers? Yeah. You think uh, J.K. Dobbins, Master T, could probably salt that one away on the ground? Offensive line good enough to move Rutgers? I think so. Instead, Justin Fields throws 19 times in the first half and accumulates a career-high 305 passing yards and four touchdowns in the first half. Oh, okay. Coincidental? I think not. I think Ohio State the last two weeks has seen Penn State's secondary from... Uh, scouting opponents all year and perhaps having an eye toward Penn State, and why wouldn't you with some of these uh, you know, teams that Ohio State's been playing that they're clearly better than? You can afford to do some head scouting, and I think they're going to throw it and throw it a lot and throw it very successfully Saturday against Penn State. And, oh, by the way, how has Ohio State been able to come back from double 
figure deficits in the second half of the last two Penn State games. Oh, yeah, by throwing the ball. JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins had their way throwing the ball against Penn State. So that is what I expect to happen on Saturday. Uh, The unknown for Penn State is, will K.J. Hamler be back? Hamler played on Saturday against Indiana. He's the kid who went 90-plus yards against Ohio State last year. And when he left the game with a head injury last year, uh, I certainly hurt Penn State's offense. Penn State had two two catches by receivers Saturday after Hamler went out of the game, but they did score a fair amount of points after he went out of the game. I assume he will play because he was, you know, um, up and at him and hugging his teammates and stuff after the game. Uh, they held him out probably as a precaution. But I do not think this game will be a four-quarter game. J.K. Dobbins was asked after the Rutgers game, uh, are you guys ready for a four-quarter game? And J.K. Dobbins said, why does it have to be a four-quarter game? And I don't think that was a disrespectful comment toward Penn State. I think that's J.K. Dobbins believing in his team and maybe J.K. Dobbins being, uh, as I fancy myself, the mayor of Realtown. I don't think he thinks Penn State can hang with him. And why would he think that? Nobody has. 24 points is the closest game they've played this year. Penn State may be closer than 24, but I still think it'll be more than, uh, I I still think it'll be a three-score game. I think it'll be at least 17, and it wouldn't shock me at all if it's more than 24 because the Buckeyes will be all geeked up and uh, the crowd will be fired up, and they'll have the uh, Big Ten East clinched, by the way, if they win the game because they could lose at Michigan. Michigan already has two losses. Penn State would have two losses. Ohio State would be the champion of the Big Ten East with a win over Penn State. Penn State would have to win the following week, but Penn State plays Rutgers, so Penn State would get the berth in the Big Ten title game. You don't want to commit your college football playoff hopes to the committee putting you in the title game when you're a non-division, non-league champion of the Big Ten. You don't want that. You, you did not win the league. You did not win the division, yet you want to be in the playoff. Uh, I I still think Ohio State would be one of the best four. And I would say they'd have a better chance of getting in this year than they did in 2015 when there were other teams around the country that had a resume that would compare now with Alabama and Tua Tungvaloa, unfortunately, extremely unfortunately, being out for the year. Um, Unless Georgia would win the SEC title, I think Ohio State would would have a a 50-50 shot of getting in if they didn't win the Penn State game and Penn State went on to win the Big Ten title, but you know you don't want to throw yourself in a conversation with Oregon and Oklahoma if those two teams win their respective conference championships. Do I think Ohio State's better? Of course I do, but do I think that would automatically get them in? No, I don't. So uh, you don't want to do that, and I don't think you need to worry about that. I think Ohio State will win this game, win it handily, and then go on to Michigan and uh, inflict the pain on Michigan and beat you know whoever whatever unfortunate soul emerges from the Paul Bunyan axe game, Wisconsin or Minnesota. And Ohio State will sail into the playoff unbeaten in 13-0. And then it'll really get interesting, uh, depending on whether they're one or two. I think there's um, I think there's probably not much of a chance they'll be number one in the playoff rankings tomorrow night. But LSU uh, gave up 37 to Ole Miss. And I know Ohio State gave up 21 to Rutgers, so okay. Tomato, tomato. Uh, LSU's defense... The ones were in, and Ole Miss was running all over them. Ohio State, the backups were in, and Rutgers was, you know, occasionally scoring. So I don't think those two are comparable. I think Ohio State's defense is better than LSU's. And Joe Burrow showed some, um, you know, chinks in the armor on uh, Saturday night with two first-half interceptions. So uh, Buckeyes uh, win it. They look great, at least offensively. They look great in that game. Um, and uh, nobody did uh, 
something more eye-opening than Ohio State's Chris Olave, who caught this pass from Justin Fields. It is our Flashes of Fun Picture Perfect play of the day. Rutgers rushes four fields. Going deep. Did he catch that flag? And yes, he did catch it. Chris Olave with a flag to boot. Yeah, pass interference. Who cares? Uh, Olave hauls it in down around his ankles using his right calf muscle on his hands. Uh, boy, this kid's good. Uh, he's he's really good. He's our best receiver. Uh, and, but, you know, and we're splitting hairs because they have a lot of great receivers. Um, so that's your Flashes of Fun picture perfect play of the day. Flashes of Fun, save a lot of money, fellas, on senior pictures, on family pictures, Christmas card pictures, pet pictures, a unique Christmas gift. You have a son or daughter, and they have a dog, a cat, uh, a pet they love. Um, most photography studios don't want animals in their studio. Flashes of Fun, uh, they don't have a studio. They come to you. And how much more convenient is that? And, by the way, you'll save hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands on something like Senior Pictures. So book online, $50 off when you book online at flashesofun.com. All right, uh, we'll get to some uh, college football now. Tua out for the year. And uh, this is just, you get, you got to have no heart if you're gloating over this. Like, aha, Bama, blah, blah. man. Um, Tua Tungvaloa's college legacy probably was secure when he threw the second and 26 game-winning touchdown pass to Devontae Smith in the national championship game as a true freshman coming in at halftime to rescue Alabama from big deficit against Georgia. He's been uh, nothing but a class kid at Bama. He's been uh, nothing but a joy to watch. Um, I-, I find it endearing that his whole family moved from Hawaii to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, I'm not an expert on Hawaiian culture, but uh, obviously family, very important to them. And, uh, you know, some people said, well, they're putting all their, you know, putting all the pressure on him to take care of the family in the future. Yeah, probably, but that just means they're a little bit more out front with it than most families are because that's not uncommon at all when you have a, a gifted, you know, soon-to-be professional athlete in the family. Um, his brother's at Alabama, and uh, this is just just horrible. I mean, I know the uh, high ankle sprain was not the injury that caused him to be out for the year. It's a, it's a dislocated hip and a fracture of the right posterior wall of the hip. So it looked to me like, and I talked with a doctor friend of mine yesterday about this, um, that Tua went down and his knee went, his right knee went in the ground, and the force of the two players uh, taking him to the ground were on top of him and it jammed his knee into the ground and his hip it just had nowhere to go. I mean, his femur just, you know, goes up and dislocates the hip. Now, um, this, uh, this friend of mine said that it, uh, it was significant that the Alabama doctors said they could reduce the dislocation in the locker room after that, if not reduced, can lead to the same kind of degenerative condition that forced Bo Jackson to prematurely retire from the NFL. All the initial releases from Alabama say that two is going to make a full recovery. You never know that. Things can always intrude, and we certainly hope that's true. He's having surgery today in Houston. Uh, I've seen videos of Tua in the hospital where he's, you know, looks like there's music on and he's dancing around. 
I just find him to be a wonderful kid. If you if and I you know okay maybe you got a Bama thing which I don't really understand because Ohio State's beaten Bama the last time they played, uh, but um, boy I'm I'm praying that to a tongue of Aloha, everything goes well for him uh, because that was sad to watch and my heart sank for him for his family for college football and for me as a fan because I love watching him play. LSU, Joe Burrow, big game against. Ole Miss, 489 yards, five touchdowns, 58-37. Fifth time this year he's thrown for 350-plus. Joe Burrow's far and away the favorite for the Heisman Trophy. He's got the Heisman moment against Alabama. I don't think there's anything Justin Fields can do to overtake Joe Burrow, but now the two is out. I think Justin Fields is going to get an invitation to New York because the Chase Young suspension, and by the way, Chase is back this week against Penn State, as if Ohio State needed that. Because <laughs> the great get greater with Chase Young's return. I think three guys are going to get invited to the Heisman. It's going to be Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, and Jalen Hurts. Those are your three in New York. Maybe Travis Etienne from Clemson, although they typically, um, in my work as the Ohio Heisman chairman, they typically invite the guys who have a, you know, are fairly close to the top. I don't think ETN's going to be fairly close. I think there's going to be a clear delineation between Hertz Fields and Joe Burrow. Uh, here are the numbers. Hertz was phenomenal in an Oklahoma comeback from 25 down against Baylor um, Saturday night on the road. That's good for OU. They're going to jump up in the college football playoff rankings now. Uh, Jalen Hurts has thrown for 3,000 yards. I'm not going to give you the exact numbers because you tend to not remember them that way. So here's the deal. Joe uh, Joe Burrow has thrown for 3,700 yards. Jalen Hurts for 3,000 yards. Justin Fields for 2,100 yards. Ohio State, you know, Fields doesn't play in the second half very often. Rushing yards... Burrow's not really a runner. He has uh, three rushing touchdowns, and he's an effective runner, but he's not a, you know, not a runner. So Fields has rushed for just a little less than 400 yards, but 10 TDs. Hertz, has, Hertz is 17 yards shy of 1,000, so he's got more than twice as many rushing yards as Justin Fields, but the run is a big part of Oklahoma's. The quarterback run is a big part of their offense. And Hertz has 15 touchdowns to Fields' 10. So I think Burrow's going to win it. I think Hertz is going to be second. I think Fields is going to be third. But I think Justin Fields can be second if he has big games, and I believe he will have big games, against Penn State and Michigan. And you know what? If Joe Burrow uh, has a bad game against Georgia in the SEC title game, I think it will tighten up the race. But here's what I find uh, has been true over time with the Heisman, and I don't like this, but this is the reality of it. A lot of people who vote in the Heisman vote before the conference championship games on December the 7th. They should not do that. They should wait till all the games are played, but they will do that, and Joe Burrow, because he's the perceived and, well, acknowledged front runner, Joe Burrow will have a big lead in the early Heisman votes that come in. And I believe that lead will be so big that Justin Fields will have a hard time overtaking him. Although the ballots have not gone out yet, so there's a chance that Justin Fields will, you know, play phenomenally well against Penn State, and people will say, whoa, maybe we need to take a look at this Ohio State quarterback. Uh, Ryan Day made the point after the game on Saturday that Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins and Chase Young should not be dismissed because they rarely play in the second half. 
And he's right about that, but that's just the reality of it. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, uh, if Ohio State had the defense this year that they had a year ago and you had to play J.K. Dobbins in the second half to run the clock and gain yards and you know stay clear of the opponent's scoring points to keep up with you, J.K. Dobbins would, I think, be bearing down on 2,000 yards. Because he has 1,000 of his uh, three, uh, 1,300 yards, 1,000 of his 1,300 yards in the first half. It's not like J.K.'s out of gas at halftime. It's just he doesn't play in the second half. And that's a measure of uh, Ohio State's greatness and Ohio State's success. Of course, Penn State and Ohio State have played, <coughs> excuse me, phenomenal close games the last three years. The last three games in this series have been decided by five points total. Penn State with the block field goal win, 24-21 in 2016. Ohio State with the JT Barrett-led comeback and the Denzel Ward block punt with the ugliest uniforms in Ohio State history. That's an editorial judgment, but an accurate judgment nonetheless. Um, 39-38. Those were the gray, dingy gray, black helmet, red Buckeye Leaf helmets uh, in 2017. Buckeyes win that one 39-38. And then last year, uh, the infamous James Franklin post-game rant about, you know, just his stream of consciousness rant about, I got to win this game, and if we don't win this game, it proves that we're not. He's right. He's just very seldom do you get a coach being that truthful about his own failures to manage the clock and manage a win where they were up two scores with eight minutes to go. And Ohio State comes back with a big J.K. Dobbins screen pass and a Ben Victor touchdown catch and run and a K.J. Hill touchdown along the right sideline to win that one 27-26. Dwayne Haskins, the author of that victory last season in State College, did you see the Dwayne Haskins sideline video yesterday. You can find it on Twitter, uh, and I'm sure many other places, of Dwayne Haskins imploring his Washington Redskins offensive line uh, with uh, a question. What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? So I I don't know the particulars of the Redskins game. I know they lost. And Haskins was in that moment begging for better protection, I'm sure. What I thought was not a promising sign was the response of the Redskins offensive linemen to Dwayne Haskins challenging them and imploring them to play better and to be willing to help them play better. They just looked detached, disinterested. And I feel for Dwayne Haskins that he's a rookie in a culture where it doesn't look like the veterans around him care. It doesn't look like they care. I don't think they dislike him. I just think they don't care. And, boy, that's a tough spot to be in. We'll get Spiel's opinion on that on uh, Wednesday. Uh, Bengal fans are trending toward their early 90s melees after the Bengals sank to 0-10 yesterday. Matches their worst start in franchise history going back to 1993. They have the Steelers at home this coming Sunday. Lost in Oakland 17-10. to Um... Ryan Finley's not the quarterback of the future of the Cincinnati Bengals, which is not a shock. A fourth-round pick would not be the future of your franchise. I don't know if Zach Taylor is the right guy. Now, look, I mean, A.J. Green's out, and they've had 
some bad breaks and now they're in give up mode because they got to find out about Finley and they know who Andy Dalton is and there's you know there are mitigating circumstances to them being 0 and 10. But here's my thing with Zach Taylor. In a close game against the Oakland Raiders, why is Ryan Finley throwing it 31 times and Joe Mixon's running it only 15? Now, if Joe Mixon were having the struggles he had early in the year, you could explain that. But Joe Mixon rushed for 86 yards on 15 carries. And Ryan Finley threw for 115 yards. 115 yards on 13 completions. Um, Not understanding that. Mix of play calls. And I'm certainly not understanding... uh, Punting from the Oakland 41 down by four late in the third quarter on fourth and six. Oakland 41, you're down four, you're 0-9. It's fourth and six. I know it's not fourth and one, fourth and an inch or whatever, but fourth and six. I mean, what do you got to lose, man? The game? Yeah, okay, well, that that wouldn't be history-making given the fact you've Played nine times and lost nine times. So I didn't understand that one. So I'm Zach Taylor. Don't know. Don't know about that. Uh, Now, before we go any further, don't miss Shackton a Fool, the Twitter account of Shaquille O'Neal's little NBA on TNT segment, because if you miss it today, you will miss former Buckeye Evan Turner putting... LeBron James on skates. LeBron James on skates. Evan Turner, the kid E.T., makes a move to the basket, and LeBron, whoop! And LeBron is the punchline on Shaqton a Fool, which doesn't happen very often. And Evan Turner uh, schooled him. So, I love Evan Turner. He's one of my favorite Buckeyes of all time. And uh, that was fun to see. Very, very fun to see. Uh, related note on Ohio State's dominance. I uh, meant to get this in earlier in the podcast. They're 10-0. and They've won every game by 24 or more points. Apparently only Nebraska in 1971 did that. And, yes, Nebraska in 1971 won the national championship. So that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Uh, here is uh, something you need to know for your Saturday Penn State-Ohio State tailgate. Stover Farms Custom Meats, 4000 Presidential Parkway. You expect the Buckeyes to dominate Penn State? Would you like to dominate your tailgate? You will if you go with certified Angus beef, steaks, hamburger, whatever cut of steak you want, they'll have it. It's Stover Farms Custom Meats, 4000 Presidential Parkway, just off Sawmill Road in Powell. And it's easy to find because there's a traffic light at Presidential. It's just east uh, of Sawmill Road. Big sign out front. Thursday, 10 to 6.30. Friday, 10 to 6.30. Saturday, 9 to 4.30. So get in there early and get your favorite cuts. You'll save 15% off as a Spielman and Hooley listener. Trevor Stover, father of Buckeye Cade Stover, Mr. Football, homegrown, Angus beef, certified, no hormones, non-GMO, great people, great steaks. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's it's a, (laughs) to coin a phrase, a cut above in quality and taste when you get Stover Farms custom meats. And yes, they have poultry and yes, they have pork. Non-GMO, no hormones. How about a little little bacon on the uh, grill that you're taking to uh, Ohio Stadium or your parking lot around Ohio Stadium? Get it at Stover Farms custom meats and save 15% off when you mention the Spielman and Hooley podcast. Okay, so the Browns 
will play at home Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. And they will, of course, play without Miles Garrett, and they will likely play without Larry Ogunjobi. I have to say likely because Larry Ogunjobi's appeal is going to be heard today. I don't understand why either one of these guys are appealing. Their suspension from the NFL for their role in the late-game brawl against the Steelers on Thursday night. Uh, I predicted Friday on the podcast that Garrett would get six games, Ogunjobi would get a game, Marquise Pouncey would get a game. Um, Garrett has indeed gotten six games or more. He's suspended indefinitely. Must go to Commissioner Goodell's office to get reinstated to play next year. So it's an open-ended suspension, but he won't play this year. Even if the Browns get in the playoffs, he won't play. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi got a game. Pouncey got three games. I understand why Pouncey got three games. I do think Pouncey's will be reduced to two on appeal. But you can't kick a guy in the head. Even if you're coming to the aid of a teammate, you can't kick a guy in the head, and Marquise Pouncey did that. And given how sensitive the NFL is to head injuries and how they don't want to condone kicking uh, like a girl, they're gonna, they, they landed hard on Marquise Pouncey. I think they definitely did not want him to play in the next Browns game, which is coming up the week after this Sunday. So I think Pouncey will get two in hindsight. And having listened to people like Lewis Riddick and others, Larry Ogunjobi really skated here. I think Ogunjobi, actually, I would have given Ogunjobi, if you're going to give Pouncey three, I'd give Ogunjobi two. And I might give Ogunjobi three. Because what else is precious to the NFL? Uh, safety of the quarterback. And there's Mason Rudolph standing there with no helmet on, and Ogunjobi comes up and trucks him. And Larry Ogunjobi has given the unbelievable and I do mean not able for me to believe that he was, as he says, protecting Miles Garrett. No, Miles Garrett's over on the ground, Larry Ogunjobi, with two Steelers wailing on him, and you just came up and trucked Mason Rudolph because he's a quarterback and you thought you could do it and get away with it. That was, boy, Lewis Riddick like, has lit up Larry Ogunjobi. Um, so, I, yeah, I could see why. In hindsight, I think Ogunjobi's getting away with a lot. Uh, with getting only a game. And there are Browns fans who say Mason Rudolph's getting away with a lot, that Mason Rudolph should get suspended. I do not believe Mason Rudolph should get suspended. I believe he should get fined because you can't fight. Uh, I do not believe Mason Rudolph ever had a ghost of a chance of pulling Miles Garrett's helmet off, which some Browns fans have alleged. Nor do I think that Miles nor do I think that Mason Rudolph kicked Miles Garrett in the groin. Now before you go ballistic, listen to what I'm saying. Did Mason Rudolph put his foot in Miles Garrett's groin? Yes, he did. He did. But here's why I say he didn't kick him in the groin. Because as a male, uh, I have had the unfortunate uh, life experience of being kicked in the groin a couple times. Or of in baseball having a ball find uh, my groin. And in none of those experiences... Could I have then proceeded to rip the helmet off uh, a quarterback on the ground? And if you look at the video, it took Miles a couple yanks to get the helmet off. It's not like it just came off. He's expending energy to get that helmet off. While, I might add, while two large individual Pittsburgh Steelers offensive linemen are trying to pull me off the quarterback. No, if I got kicked in the groin or hit in the groin... My default position is 
uh, curl up in a ball and wait for the extreme discomfort of the being kicked in the groin to pass. So I think you're just being needlessly uh, clueless. If you say, well, Rudolph kicked him in the groin, and that's why Garrett was so mad. No, Garrett was just mad. Don't know why Miles Garrett was mad. Uh, Miles Garrett, in my opinion, should have been flagged for roughing the passer because Mason Rudolph got the ball out, and Miles Garrett wrapped him up, and he was fine wrapping him up, but then let go. Let go. He didn't let go. He grabbed him, he turned him, and he, and he could have let go then, and he didn't let go then. Then he took him to the ground unnecessarily. And then he laid on top of him to intimidate him, to do whatever. And I get football's a game of intimidation. It's a game of contact and all. I get it. But the quarterbacks, as Chris has said many times, are off limits in this era. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. You just have to, particularly if you're a defensive lineman in the NFL, you have to respect it. And particularly so if you're Miles Garrett, who has had a um, track record of being disciplined for not pulling off the quarterback and not adhering to the NFL standard of conduct regarding defensive linemen and their treatment of quarterbacks. So I I think Miles Garrett's indefensible on this. And why he's appealing, uh, I'm sure there must be some kind of a something to explain why he'd appeal. Maybe the Players Association requires it. But I just think if there's ever a case where you just take your punishment, take your lumps, and start the rehabilitation of your image, it's now by acknowledging, yes, I did that. I'm not proud of it. I'm mortified by it. It will never happen again. And the way for me to show that I'm contrite is I'm taking my punishment. I'm taking my punishment. Um, So I think the whole appeal thing is dumb. And a waste of Miles Garrett's time, a waste of the Browns' time, a waste of Derek Brooks and Troy Vincent's time, a waste of the NFL's time. Take your suspension and move on. Take your suspension and move on. Uh, but he's not doing that. So uh, that's where we are uh, with the Miles Garrett thing. Uh, West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating sponsors the faith portion of the podcast. West Jeff Plumbing and Heating. I'll be a good time to get him. I check the weather every day, and I'm hoping for, you know, uh, the first number to be a five. I'm really just hoping for a few more 50-degree days. Uh, probably not getting them uh, again. Uh, today, uh, 35 when I got up. Okay, that's manageable, particularly if the sun comes out. Point is, it's getting cold. And when it gets cold enough, and if you're like me, you resist that first time to turn the air conditioner on in the summer and that first time to turn the heat on in the fall. When you turn that thermostat on, you want to hear it click in and go and heat to come out of the vents. Ah, yes. Heat's a wonderful thing. But since your furnace has not been turned on since last, what, March, April, there's a chance that it won't fire. Who knows what gremlins get in there in the summertime? I don't know. But I know that a fall furnace check from West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating will prevent that unpleasant oh no when you turn your furnace on and it doesn't heat. Perhaps you need a filter change. Perhaps you need the heat exchanger looked at. I don't know. I don't know the inner workings, but I know West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating does because they offer Lennox high-efficiency products, geothermal heating, heat pumps, electric heat, gas heat, propane heat. They are the experts, and they will service your furnace or replace your furnace and save you hundreds off 
Ask for the Spielman and Hooley discount when you call West Jeff Plumbing and Heating, 614-879-9606, 614-879-9606. And plumbing, nobody likes a clogged drain, clogged toilet, clogged anything, clogged downspout line. West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating can take care of all that. Online, westjeffplumbingandheating.com, 614-879-9606. Okay. Uh, I share your disappointment when Chris is not here. Um, it's inevitable. But today is a day where, as I sat quietly this morning and contemplated uh, the faith portion of the podcast, um, I thought to myself that today might not be a bad day for Chris not to be here because it allows me an opportunity to talk about uh, where we are on the calendar and to reflect upon um, his late wife, Stephanie, because today is November the 18th, 2019. Uh, tomorrow is the 10th anniversary of Stephanie's passing. So keep uh, Chris, Maddie, Noah, Macy, and Audrey in your prayers. Keep Carrie, uh, Chris's wife, uh, in your prayers. Gina and Kendra, too, because uh, they're a great family, a blended family which um, I think Chris and I will be talking about blended families, some and the challenges which some of you face as a blended family. Um, I just um, have talked a bit to Chris and Maddie about this in the last uh, little while because we knew this was coming, and I wanted to give it the proper respect. And what I found was um, that... When people move on from a tough experience in life and they move on, it sounds harsh, move on. I'll say when they get through it, when they get through it and they do it in such an exemplary way, I'm guilty of forgetting that outwardly they may have gotten through it. But inwardly, grief does not fight fair. And if you've gone through grief, um, you know that it is a despicable opponent. A song, a memory, a picture can bring much of it back out of the blue. I'm not suggesting that Chris or anyone close to Chris is... um, debilitated uh, by memories of Steph. No way. They're inspired by and just understand what a remarkable wife and mom and sister friend she was. But I just say that to make us sensitive to all the people in our life who um, get through grief that um, while they may not share you know, whatever struggle uh, comes upon them from time to time, just be sensitive to it. Because, uh, you know, I I think that I brought it up as a topic to Chris without having the proper sensitivity for how tough uh, it might still be. Because, again, um, my friend has been uh, amazing and exemplary in how he has uh, pressed on through all that and his perspective on all of that. So I was thinking about that today and I was thinking about, um, you know, we all go through things and we all can get caught up in whatever our crisis of the moment is. 
um, lose a job, lose a friend, whatever. Um, sickness in your family, your own health uh, situation. Um, and we can get really um, hopeless in those situations because they appear daunting. If you're, if you're a Christian and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've settled your eternal future, I would encourage you today to reflect upon in those moments where you tend to despair that you know how the game ends and you win in the end. Um, the, one of the things we love about sports is the comeback story, right? The improbable comeback. Didn't see that coming, never thought this team could upset that team. The underdog story, the comeback story, all precious. Well, I'll tell you what, there are times in our life today where if you are a person that is uh, bothered by the way our culture is turning on sexuality, on abortion, on any number of social issues, if you are troubled by events across the world and um, where it appears that the, the wrong side's winning, um. The wrong side may be ahead sometimes, but the wrong side's not going to win. The wrong side's not going to win. We read the scoreboard wrong sometimes and think it's hopeless, um, but it is not hopeless. We serve a mighty God. We know that he will triumph in the end. While we may not have the capacity, understanding, or perspective now to realize that he's working through circumstances that seem unfair, painful, and are painful, and often unfair. He is going to win. Uh, Two verses that come to mind. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness, and I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So when you are behind when you are trailing, when the scoreboard looks um, overwhelming. Uh, Remember that God will win, and you will win if you stay with him. And very often we reach a fork in the road in our lives, and we have two paths before us. We We can turn and move away from him, or we can turn and move closer to him. And when Chris and I were doing the book, um, that's why I'm here, the Chris and Stephanie Spielman story. Chris's words to his children late in Stephanie's life and after Stephanie passed were, you can run from God or you can run to God. And he says, I'm going to run to God. He, can't, he could not force them which way to go. He could not force them. But because of the example that he set and because of the truth he had built into his kids' lives, They have all run to God. And I believe we have all seen the comfort they have experienced. And if that comfort is attractive to you, preferable to you, to trying to do it on your own, and I can't imagine why it wouldn't be, uh, they have done it uh, by putting their faith in Christ and knowing that this world is not our home. It is a temporary place where we serve God, but that there is an eternal home waiting for us. That's how the game ends. And you can be a winner in that game if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Um, this, is the, this is the reason Chris and I do the podcast. Uh, it is uh, what we deem to be our most important role uh, right now in our lives, to 
we think a lot of guys want this in their life, and a lot of guys may not know how to get it in their life. Um, and so, you know, we're just we're just regular guys. <laughs> we're guys who struggle. We're guys who battle. We're guys who fail. Uh, and so we're just trying to uh, get it right ourselves, and we're just trying to inspire you to get it right too because, man, the joy of moving closer to God is um, so preferable to moving away. Chris will be back on Wednesday. We look forward to it. We hope you have a great Monday. Have a great first part of the week, and we'll talk to you again soon. And I looked upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through.